Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Food that's good for the environment, good for the people who eat it, and good for the people who grow it. They pick it so it's beautiful when it comes to market, and you get to enjoy that. Local businesses is the, the first place that we can directly support somebody. You've got to believe in what you do, and if you stick to that, then you're getting there anyway. What's up? Welcome to another Quicksand Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma. Today I speak with Scott Woods from Ruby's Mount Kembla up in Kembla Heights. Ruby's Mount Kembla is a fantastic Illawarra restaurant. It's been there for a long time. It's in an old heritage listed building and it's one of those special occasion sorts of places. Scott Woods has an interesting story. He actually got his start in hospitality up at Ruby's. He was washing the dishes there and then he started training as a chef went overseas for a while and got some experience in a bunch of other restaurants and ended up coming back to own and run Ruby. So it's an interesting sort of full circle journey. I talked to him about that. I talked to him about the menu and about the dishes that he gave us for the Illawarra cookbook. So thank you for tuning in and I hope that you enjoy my chat with Scott Woods from Ruby's Mount Kembla in Kembla Heights. The first thing that strikes you when you come up here is like the heritage of the, the building and the place because it's pretty unique for the Illawarra and Wollongong. There's a lot of history. You want to just start with telling us a bit about the history of Ruby's? Yeah, sure. So Ruby's was the original post office in uh, Kembla Heights region. Uh, first built in 1890 uh, and then Ruby was the original post mistress back here in the uh, late 1800s, uh, early 1900s. Uh, so that's where the name comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And I don't know. It's 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 cool because you can see it. You can see it in the character of the building. But some of the you know um, buildings around Campbell Heights and and this sort of area, it just sort of takes you back to just that old old period that you don't see so much anymore. Yeah, so not much has really changed up here. It's uh, they're all heritage listed little miners' cottages all around Rubies and. Uh, yeah, Ruby's itself heritage listed, so yeah, yeah it's, it's good that we've been able to preserve the building, and uh, you know, people love that. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, we'll talk about Ruby's as a restaurant. How how long si- since you took over and started running Ruby's? Uh, it's been nine years now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll be here for so, nine years. Yeah, so I took over when I was twenty five years old, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, cool. And so. There's there's a pretty short list of sort of fine dining restaurants in the Illawarra. Um, how do you like what what's it like in this region? Because for 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 a very long time, this place is pretty 
working class, I guess, like the Illawarra, and the food scene seems to have had a bit of had a bit of an upswing in the last few years. Um, like, has your approach been sort of the same the whole time? Just try to keep it a place that people go for special occasions and for weddings and things like that, or have you sort of changed and adapted? Uh, no, we haven't really changed too much. We've always been, uh, you know, on that fine dining end of the end of the scale. So, uh, yeah, no, we haven't changed too much in the way we do things over the years. But uh, obviously, you know, menus change, and uh, see, with the seasons, we change menus. But uh, yeah, we always, um, you know, like to keep evolving and uh, with the menus and you know the way we do things. So, yeah. Yeah, there's always something to learn and and push forward with, but. Uh, yeah, same. Our standards haven't changed, and we, um, yeah, we we have changed to our degustation only in the restaurant. But uh, so we don't actually do a three course anymore. But you know, people are coming here for an experience, so we like to show them what we can do, mm. and you know, put that over you know six or seven courses, and uh, and uh, have match wine with each course. And is that is the reason to change to degustation only? Is that because you want to be able to sort of give people everything you can do like what are the reasonings behind yeah exactly we um we like to you know rather than you know we like to showcase what we can do basically and um rather than just having three courses yeah let's do let's do seven courses and show you what we yeah what we can do and, and you know take your time you don't have to worry about coming in and ordering and we can just you know lay it on the table and mm. you know go for does it, it make better. your job easier Yes and no. Yeah. Um, it's good in the way that, you know, for ordering purposes, but in the kitchen on the night or on, on the day, it, you know, when you start getting a few dockets on, you know, some people can be up to course one, others can be up to course four, another one at course five, so you kind of, it's a bit of a juggling act. But, yeah, right. But uh, yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they both have their benefits and their yeah. challenges and stuff, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that's cool. And and do you, do you use obviously the seasons is sort of like the starting point to build your menus that's definitely the starting point yeah um seasonal uh as local as possible we can we if we can uh there's a lot of great local producers so we we're on board with them and uh yeah. how do you start developing local sort of connections when you first got here with producers oh it's just going around to different people talking to different other chefs and seeing what they're doing and who they're using and you know um yeah, it's just just homework, really. Yeah. yeah. So you just start researching who's around and yeah. start making phone calls exactly. and checking out the produce that's available. Yeah. yeah, whether it's us approaching suppliers or suppliers approaching us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, I guess one like one of the things that I noticed about your menu and 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 like the food that we shot today as well is like using using quite sort of like modern and innovative techniques. But keeping, but at the same time, keeping it simple, you know, yeah. in, in a way. So, like with the duck duck dish, for example, like there's a method preparation in the leg and a different one in the breast, and then you've got a few accompaniments that have different techniques involved, which give you different textures and is interesting for people. Like, how do you sort of strike a balance between using modern techniques and sort of challenging yourself as a chef and and doing things that interest you, but doing stuff also that maybe isn't challenging for a customer yeah yeah good good question uh so you know starting with the season obviously see what's what's around and then um yeah basically you know get your protein first of all is what i do and then move on to an accompaniment 
and then basically yeah seeing what's in season then the technique so uh, the duck dish yes yeah, it's, it's quite a technical dish even though it looks pretty simple on the plate but uh, there's a lot of elements in there that do take a lot of time but uh, yeah overall it's um it's a dish that has a lot of ingredients but uh but it is is i suppose you know when you do eat it that's that's when you really notice what work has gone into it behind yeah the yeah exactly yeah. so let's break it down like so with the duck breast you sous vide that first yeah so that is uh, rendered the skin uh in the pan and then let it cool put it in a vacuum bag seal that and sous vide that at 58 degrees for about an hour and a half mm-hmm. uh, and then bring it out of the bag pat it off with a paper towel and then refrying it in the pan just to crispen up that skin again uh, let that rest for a couple of minutes and then then carve um, duck leg is also cooked sous vide style uh, we cook that about t- uh, 40 30 hours for that one <laughs> at about 80 degrees um, in the bag with that, we put a little bit of duck sauce as well, so that, that's acting as your, your braising liquid. Yeah, there. cool. So that's picked off the bone and then uh, then wrapped in cling film uh, into a cylinder shape. Let that set and then take that out, roll that in a seasoned flour, pan fry it, uh, and then that's, they warm that through in the oven and that, that goes on the plate. Uh, on top of that, we serve our uh, pine mushroom soil, which is... Um, soil in inverted commas mm. so uh, so it is made to look like the soil um, where the pine mushrooms are from so what that is is basically a um, pine mushrooms um, nuts currants all roasted and blended together mm-hmm. so it, um, it resembles soil uh, you've also got a uh, chestnut puree on there which is um, the chestnuts are are a bit of a labour of love, so they're um, roasted, deshelled, and then um, simmered with some milk and then pureed uh, and seasoned. And the other component is the braised silver beet. So we've got uh, some sliced onion, garlic, thyme, all pan fried off in some butter until nice and soft, and then we add the silver beet, a little bit of duck stock, uh, braise that down. A little bit with a lid on, and then how long do you braise that for? Oh, it's not a really long, long braise, but we only braise it for probably half an hour. Yeah, and then that natural juice from the silver beet comes out and breaks it, breaks down in its own juice. Right. So does that happen after a certain amount of time when cooking things like silver beet? Yeah, I mean it is a leafy green, so it does break down pretty quickly. But um, it is, it is more of a hearty style leafy green, so it does take a little bit more time. Yeah, because I found you can do that with kale as well. Like you can either cook it quick. Or you can cook it for a long time, and it really like starts to soften and break yeah. down, and you get a, you get a lot of flavour out yeah. of it as well that way. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, basically we take that out, uh, put that in the uh, thermo mix, give that a little quick blend with a handful of parmesan, and then we uh, let that cool off, and then we for service we heat that through and a little quenelle on the plate mm. of that. Yeah, awesome, awesome combo. The, that braised silver beets so is such a fantastic addition and like even by itself it's so good that's that's i reckon that that sort of thing is one of the things that you can just make at home and have as an accompaniment to a steak or or anything it's it's a pretty versatile one and when it comes to cooking things like silver beet and spinach and you know a lot of a lot of those leafy greens 
people just tend to blanch them sort of thing like especially at home not putting that much effort into it but adding that extra bit of flavor and a few a few different ingredients and cooking it for a bit longer and treating it as if you'd treat a piece of meat or something like that and just having it like making it really nice really pays off yeah yeah yeah. definitely i love that sort of stuff so i mean breaking that dish down there's a lot of steps and like a lot of ingredients and a lot of processes and that all comes together in the kitchen so it goes in front of someone and they're happy with it at the end of the day there's a lot of processes and techniques and a lot of things need to come together in order for that to be executed well and served hot to a customer who's got a like relatively high expectation probably when they come here and stuff also is it like do you find it a challenge conveying to people you know you might get these days more criticism or feedback than you have in the past because of the internet and is it hard sometimes for a chef to sort of try to convey to their customer or to, to convey to people who might be critics or whatever, like how much work has gone into what you've, what, you've, what you've put on the plate at the end of the day? Yeah, yeah, it is pretty difficult, but, um, you know, that's why you have to put pressure on yourself to make sure that a dish is perfect every time you send yeah. it out, no matter what. Because um, everyone's a critic at the end of the day, whether it's whether they're um, on your side or, or not. So. Yeah. It's a good thing, you know, because it keeps you on your toes and keeps you pushing the pushing your standards forward and and um, you know coming up with new new things all the time. So it's um, it's a good thing. Is that so? You reckon like one of the things in in order to satisfy the customer is also sort of like coming up with new things and keeping them keeping them guessing a little bit, keeping yeah, them surprised. Definitely, definitely, because um, there's a lot of restaurants out there that are are um you know doing the same thing so you know everyone's everyone's competition and everyone's everyone's looking to to get the people customers in the door so it's uh, yeah we always have to keep evolving yeah yeah how do you how do you then sort of like find inspiration to evolve like how do you find a new ingredient or a new technique or or whatever i think social media is probably one thing that's made a lot easier these days yeah social media uh talking to chefs talking to local suppliers they might have a new product that has come in or uh yeah it's a bit of everything really yeah it's not one you know certain platform that i look to 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 get inspiration it's a bit of bit of everything nature itself Um, Yeah. yeah there's we uh we often forage for our own own ingredients as well so mm-hmm. you know that's that's an inspiration in its own so, yeah. yeah did you get those pine mushrooms that you used I did yeah. I did yeah they're locally locally foraged isn't it isn't it just the best thing to do just no. going out and getting mushrooms a kid in a candy shop <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. it's a lot of fun it's like the secret's out now though it's like you can't tell, tell people your spots and stuff because everyone's yeah. sharing photos of foraging mushrooms on social media you're like stop it yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's go. Let's go to the uh, to the beetroot and goat's cheese dish. So, as I said to you, like that's just such a match made in heaven. Hey, and you were saying it's one of your favourite combos. It is, yeah. So that's that's a classic combination. So that's something where I've used a classic classic flavours and classic combination, but put a modern presentation and a modern twist on there. So it's um, it's a dish that most people have had and it's something that's recognizable so but uh yeah we do the beetroot in a different way we um whip the goat's cheese so it's not just 
ghost cheese and beetroot is you know elements that are done a little bit differently then we've got a few other little bits of crispy kale and and uh crispy parmesan wafer on there to give it a bit of texture mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um yeah and the i don't know it's 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 interesting because sometimes it's a vegetarian dish at a fine dining restaurant like it can feel like maybe maybe to a vegetarian look i'm not a vegetarian so i don't know but like a vegetarian may feel at, at certain places like there was more effort put into the person that they're dining with who's eating protein than 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 there was put into their dish and that and like the way that that's presented and the different sort of obviously the techniques that you use like the the pickled beetroot and whipping the ghost cheese and you know just the the heirloom beets and the stuff you can see the effort that just as much attention has been paid to that dish as others oh of course yeah as you know vegetarians are, are just as important as as the carnivores in in uh, rubies so we um like to take care of everyone they're people everyone. too <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i don't know they're missing out because that duck dish was delicious um anything else you want to talk about restaurant wise so like is it i was thinking about asking asking about sort of the wedding side of things so like this this place is also a wedding venue yeah correct yeah so we've got our our marquee at the back where we we do up to about 120 people for a sit-down wedding uh got the beautiful deck area out there for the dance floor and nice cobblestone courtyards yeah yeah it's a popular little spot for weddings as well so um yeah big bigger weddings out there we can do smaller weddings in our main dining room up to 50 in the main room so that's pretty good uh, wet weather options so as well um with the open fireplaces for in the winter time yeah that's fantastic so it's a nice little homely feel yeah here. it's got a real homely feel and like all the different rooms and stuff it's, it's 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 sort of like one of those old manners that you can sort of like walk through doors and and find a little fireplace somewhere and sit yeah. down and have a drink and and that sort of thing yeah you've got the fireplace outside as well the outdoor fireplace yeah yeah, yeah. that that would be nice for the getting a bit later on into the night for the weddings and stuff like Definitely. having having a yeah. place to warm up yeah um do you think that like say you've got locals who have eaten at ruby's before at like and had a degustation here and stuff is it hard to manage sort of like what their expectation might be with catering for a wedding yeah so pretty much when we have a wedding so I might really understand that question so like a lot of the time a venue's menu like restaurant menu is a lot different to its wedding menu because it's it's harder to manage 150 people at once than it is to manage say 50 in the dining room or whatever it is and they're also paying you more money in the dining room and all that sort of thing so I don't know I think sometimes people might occasionally come to a place with an unfair expectation that the food that they'll get at the wedding is the same or better than what they've eaten in the restaurant and paid better money for, etc. Yeah. But it's also like, conversely, there's places that run the same menu through both yeah. things and, and whatever. So like, is that something that's hard to yeah. balance and manage? Yeah, I, I think people, most people do know the, what the difference is between the menu in the restaurant and the menu for the weddings because, yeah, restaurant menus a lot more... Uh, I suppose you would say more fine dining because yeah. there's more elements per dish. Um, 
you know, example that that duck dish has got you know four or five elements on the dish. Uh, the beetroot has got six or seven. So to plate that style of food for a wedding uh, without having a brigade of twenty in the kitchen yeah, exactly. makes it pretty hard. So yeah. um, wedding menu still still beautiful, nice food, um, but yeah, just less components per dish. Right. So so it's more on that just. It's more about being able to execute it for you, exactly. rather like you know, not not lessening quality, but but just the processes in order to put a dish on the plate for someone. You need to keep that to to a level that's manageable for exactly. a large group. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. And so, and people, people obviously, yeah, would be understanding of that. I think most people would be. But yeah, I just feel like it could be sometimes. You know, you've got different levels of customer and whatever, and. It'd just be hard if someone came in and was like, "Well, I ate here last week, and this the yeah. food was completely different, or whatever it might be." But yeah, yeah. I, yeah I mean, yeah, good point. Uh, but yeah, it is most. I, mean, I do explain to people that are having a wedding that our restaurant food as yeah, well is different to our to our uh, wedding wedding foods. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's understandable. Um, let's talk about. We'll, we'll we'll put a little. We'll make a little chef profile thing. And you just ask you about your experience because it's kind of unique. Um, let's first, let me ask you, how did you first get interested in food? Uh, okay, so I was at school. I uh, started doing a bit of kitchen hand work here uh, as a 16-year-old. At Ruby's? At Ruby's, yeah. So I've started from... <laughs> did you live nearby or something? Yeah, down the road, Cordo Heights. So yeah. I started here from the absolute bottom kitchen hand <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, over time, worked my way up, and now I'm a chef. So when did like why did you just start like think to yourself I'm gonna I'm gonna do an apprenticeship here? Like did the, did the chef at the time offer you one? Say do you want to yeah, yeah. be a chef? So I, as I was saying, I was the kitchen hand. Then I um you know I was talking to the apprentice and the chef at the time, and they were giving me little bits of food here and there. I'm like oh oh that's nice that's nice, mm. and I'm exploring these new flavors that I've never had before and. It just something sparked in me and you know I just thought oh, maybe maybe I might want to do this you know full time and yeah I um, asked the owner if if there was anything any positions going and yeah there was so I um, soon became a first year apprentice yeah. yeah and then how 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 many years of your apprenticeship did you spend here so back in those days it was a four year apprenticeship so I did my first year first three three years at Ruby's and yeah I uh, went to Sydney and worked at Aria in my fourth year. Fourth mm-hmm. year. So uh, then came back to Wollongong, uh, helped my old head chef open a uh, restaurant down here called Zest, which is uh, no longer open. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was a pretty successful restaurant. Yeah. Uh, after that, went overseas, worked in London for a year and a half, did a bit of time with uh, Tom Aikens. Uh, and then worked at a How was that? What was that experience? That like, was, I, I hear he's a pretty uh, he's a pretty hard man. That was full on. Yeah, yeah it was uh, long days, tough working conditions. But you know, we were starting at seven o'clock in the morning and then starting finishing at one o'clock in the morning the next day. So yeah. it was a, a long day. And so um, why, like, why, why would that? Why would it be so hardcore? Like, is it just because there's that much to do to, to, that much to, to do? Was Everything it just? Was, was it dinner only or dinner only? Jesus. Uh, Sorry, no, lunch and dinner. Lunch and dinner. Lunch and dinner, okay. but uh, we, um, it was ranked number eight in the world at yeah. the stage that I was working there. So a lot of pressure, you know, on everyone, especially Tom, you know, he was, you know, to have that, you know, reputation to uphold and to keep 25 chefs in your brigade under wraps, you know, it's 
it's pretty pretty tough gig so is there is there is there just a different like because they've been doing it for that long over in Europe and that's where the sort of standard has been set um is there a sort of a different like does the industry work in a different way there or is it sort of similar to here or yeah kitchens are run the same all over the world um you know I've worked in London Australia Canada and uh, all, all kitchens have the same kind of structure and uh, if it's top end kitchens that you know producing good good food and they generally have a have a good system back of house so mm-hmm. and that's what like um, that's what's really important for a for a fine dining kitchen or a place where you know people are paying decent money for the food is like having the systems and logistics involved to, exactly. to make sure that it runs yeah. smoothly on yeah. the night because it's 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 pretty crazy to think like all the all the preparation that you put in, all the effort, all the menu planning and sourcing your ingredients and preparing them for service and then having all your mise en place ready to go for a two-hour period of people dining, like, you know, a few nights a week. It's, 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 there's, so much, there's so much that happens back there. And oh, it all yeah. has to yeah. run like clockwork in order to get that two hours right. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, that two hours is only really 20% of the the workload the rest is preparation and yeah whether it's you know portioning meat or you know as i said with the duck breast pre-searing that off getting in the vacuum bag just little bits here and there yeah Yeah, there's always always something going on behind the scenes yeah do you think do you think like working at a place like tom aiken's that was number eight in the world at the time like does that how how did that have an effect on sort of the food that you wanted to produce later on? Uh, I I mean I always knew I wanted to cook good food and and uh, work in, in good restaurants. So uh, every every restaurant I've been to and worked at has influenced my cooking in some way or another. Every chef I've worked for and I've even worked with has uh, influenced me in one in some way, even as if it's what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So every everything's everything has its own influence, and yeah. you're always learning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you and you said you went to Canada as well. Yeah. So I worked in Whistler uh, for a year at a restaurant called the Barefoot Bistro for uh, head chef Melissa Craig, who was yeah. regarded as one of Canada's best chefs. Mm. So that was uh, quite good as well. So getting to cook some good food and then go skiing and yeah, did a bit of skiing while you're up there. Yeah, yeah it's great. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Uh, I, the The food scene in Canada is supposed to be pretty amazing. Amazing food in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. hear about it. And then, so was it Canada, and then back to Australia? Yeah, back to Australia, back to uh, Wollongong. I was just came back to work at Ruby's again. Just thought I'd fill in some time while I maybe go to Sydney and work. But yeah, uh, ended up uh, becoming the head chef here again, and uh, then six months into that ended up taking over the restaurant because the uh, previous owners were moving on so I took over and that was yeah, nine years ago really was it um, what was your sort of was it a, obviously it was a massive decision at the time to take it over and, and own the place like what made you sort of come to make that decision to be like well this is going to be me I mean I'm in Wollongong and I'm going to be the Ruby's yeah the man yeah. I mean I've always had a, a love for this place and and uh, the area the building you know the food that you know comes out of this kitchen so um, yeah it was just something that felt right and and uh, it, yeah it was a big big commitment and a big decision but uh, yeah since I 
would have been heartbroken if I didn't I think yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's an interesting sort of like full circle story starting yeah. as a dishwasher and then you know imagine if someone had tapped you on the shoulder when you you know arms deep in disgusting dish liquid and, and they're like hey you're gonna you're gonna own this place one day and you'll be doing that guy's job I wouldn't have believed it yeah <laughs> no it's a great story um Do you, do you have any, like, what are sort of some plans for Rubies for the future then? Like you were saying, you know, put in, put in some more of your own garden beds. Would you like to be doing any different different sorts of functions or um, events or anything like that? Uh, pretty good in the way that we run at the moment. Uh, we, we have the restaurant Friday, Saturday night, Sunday lunches, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, midweek midweek group bookings but so that's working pretty well for us at the moment so mm. does that model does that model sort of does it take the pressure off you in a sense that it gives you more time like less time in service and more time to like prepare and think about yeah, things yeah it's, it's good still a still a full working week where yeah, we, yeah, of um, course. get in here on the, on the Wednesday and start prepping and for the Wednesday Thursday prep days especially when we have weddings on you know, we make make everything from scratch. So, even our own wedding cakes, mm-hmm. you know, we make from scratch. So they, they're a two day turnaround to to make those and yeah, wow. Uh, make our own stocks and sauces and ice cream sorbets and make everything in house. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in those prep days to get ready for those. Three it's kind of nice to have a f- like full prep day of just prep and and you know you can see where you're at and you don't, yeah. you don't have sort of service looming over you like yeah. throughout the day yeah it's good it's good we are a small kitchen team so um if we um i mean depending where we are as well it's 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 good for those days that we're open because they're basically the days that people go out for dinner and lunch so yeah it's working pretty well for us at the moment so cool. yeah so yeah maybe a few garden beds just keep doing some weddings and yeah you know yeah Stay, stay as relaxed as a chef can. Yep. <laughs> um, we'll leave it there. Thanks for talking to me, Scott. Right, thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to my chat with Scott Woods from Ruby's Mount Kembla. If you want to find out more about what they do or make a booking, you can check out their website, rubiesmtkembla.com.au. If you want to find out more about us, you can check us out at quicksandfood.com or you can find us at quicksandfood on social media. Get out there and get the book. The Illawarra Cookbook is available online at our website or through all good Illawarra retailers. It's independently published and a collaboration between all good Illawarra venues. So please get involved. Thanks for listening to this podcast and we'll catch you again next time with another one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 